Welcome to IbleTutty.net, Bible study without the bologna sandwich. Today we're going to talk about 1 John 1.9. We're going to take a closer look at that passage. Um, a, a, lot of, a lot of people may not realize this, but when you look at this passage, um, you can see where uh, today's doctrines have led a lot of people down a, a road of confusion. Um, and maybe people don't even realize it, how confusing it actually is. Uh, but this passage, being understood correctly, could actually shed a completely different light on the scripture when you read it and open your eyes to a meaning that you didn't even realize was there before. And so we're gonna we're gonna look at this passage, and uh, you know, you guys can listen in and see what you think about it. Um, and maybe you've never looked at this passage. If you have looked at this passage, you right away know what I'm gonna be talking about because this is this is kind of a teeter totter passage. If you've ever uh, been released from legalism, you probably know about this one because it was probably holding you in bondage at one point. Uh, so that's without further ado, let's uh, let's get into it. Uh, shall I read or, or shall Melissa read? Would you like to read, Melissa? Sure, I'll read. You're a good reader. That's 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 uh, good for that. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll just read the, the first chapter here. Uh, most of the first chapter, start, stopping at verse 10, uh, so we can shed some good context on the passage and listen carefully to what's being said and, and uh, how who they're addressing in this passage. Think of who they're talking to in regards to, are they talking to people that are having fellowship with them or people that they want to share fellowship with them? Meaning that uh, some of some of the audience doesn't currently have fellowship. So there, you know, is there a mixed audience, or is everybody there a Christian? And was this passage written directly to Christians? And that's it. So let's just think about that when we read this passage. Go ahead, Melissa. All right. Let's see here. I'm looking for it. Here we go. Okay. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Okay, so uh, what was John proclaiming to his audience here then? What would you guys say he was proclaiming 
you know, he starts out saying that, that they were proclaiming something. What, what was he proclaiming? He was proclaiming concerning the word of life, which is Christ. So he was proclaiming about Christ. So and he, they were proclaiming what they had seen with their own eyes, what they had looked at and their hands had touched. So, you know, this is this is apostolic here. You know, they they walked and and talked and you know possibly hugged Jesus. They they were with him, and so they're they're proclaiming that he was real, uh, that uh, that he he walked on the earth, and they're proclaiming uh, basically uh, they're proclaiming Christ. You so, know, so and so who's the audience? You know, and uh, so what's the audience as far as heritage? You know, John was an apostle to the Jews. He didn't travel around like Paul to the Gentiles. So it would have been a predominantly Jewish audience. And they're proclaiming Jesus. Right. Right. So why would they, you know, why would they be doing that to, if they were uh, speaking to a group of Christians? I say they wouldn't. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's, it'd be kind of interesting to start proclaiming. Uh, Christ and some of the things that they've procla they're proclaiming here to a, a group of Christians, right? So right. there's there's certainly um, you know some questions. It's questionable there. You're like, okay, so was it? Can we hands down say this passage was written to Christians? Y you can't, and you know, especially since it says the apostles are saying we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also so that you also may have fellowship with us yeah so the the audience does not yet have fellowship yeah with so them. so john was saying he's proclaiming this so right. that you may have fellowship with us so he's telling the audience we want you to have fellowship with us so it sounds kind of like evangelism you know if you were to evan share your faith with somebody You'd say, you might say it like that, you know, at least in those days, I'm proclaiming this to you so you can have fellowship with us. Do you know about Jesus? And their fellowship, he says, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Okay, yeah, exactly. That was going to be my next question to you. Who who was John's fellowship with? And you just answered it. Their fellowship was was with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. So they're proclaiming this fellowship to the to the audience so that may they may have fellowship with them. Right. right. So so that's interesting. So if we if we look at who he's speaking to and we're looking at, OK, he's speaking to people that are, are uh, Jewish non-Christians are proclaiming the Messiah to these people so that they can have fellowship with them because these people didn't understand that. You know, the Jewish people didn't understand that. At least many of them didn't. Some of them may have heard whispers of it, you know, of what's going on, but um, they they did not have fellowship with them. So when you look at the next passage, um, let's see. Um, we write this to make our joy complete. Yeah. So they, you know, why was he proclaiming the fellowship to, to make their joy complete? Um, not all the people had fellowship. We've clarified that. Um, yeah, that just wouldn't make sense. So it kind of sounds like, again, you know, a, an evangelistic passage, doesn't it? Does, does anybody, you know, have any doubts here about this being a passage of evangelism? 
Uh, sounds like he's reaching out to people to share Jesus with them, his, his fellow Jewish brothers, right? I, sounds like that makes perfect sense. Right. It, it seems very clear. He would not say, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. Yeah. He wouldn't say that if they already had it. Yeah. Okay. And so then we look at... Uh, we look at the some of the deeper parts of the passage where he says, um, God is God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. And so we'll hit on that later. And he actually gets more into the fellowship issue issue and in some different passages, but just put that on hold for right now. We're going to talk about fellowship and how it is to be in the light or in the darkness. Um but then he says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Okay, so the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin if we walk in the light as he is in the light. So he's trying to share with them that you know, we can gain purity from all of our sin. And uh, then he says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So if you're denying sin, like, oh, or you're denying uh, your own sin, even, you know, you're you're deceiving yourselves. So, you know, we all know that we have sin. You'd have to be pretty self-righteous to say that you stopped or that you don't, you know, or that you're some kind of perfect person. And then and then he says, uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. And purify us from all unrighteousness. And this is this is the passage that that you hear uh, being justified as asking God perpetually for forgiveness. Where uh, you know we're to keep, continue analyzing ourselves on a daily basis, looking and and finding our sin and and uh, confessing it to God in order to get forgiven. Um, and this is something that, uh, you know, we're to do daily, it's told, and maybe even to log it in a log book, I've heard, uh, to keep log, like keep a journal, and always remember your sins. I've, I've heard, a, you know, preachers say, because God gave us a memory so that we can remember and so that we don't forget where we came from. And, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of talk about, you know, this, this uh, meditating on our sin as Christians. Uh, but is that what this passage is saying? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and uh, purifies us from all unrighteousness. Now, if you if you confessed your sin to God, and, we, and just prior to that, it said claiming to be without sin. So you have these people claiming to be without sin. And then a passage after, let's just jump into there. He says, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So he's Right around that passage, he's talking about two different outlooks, people that think they haven't sinned or claim they haven't sinned, and then there's the people that realize they've sinned. And how do we realize that we've sinned? You know, we, you know, we're the mirror of the law <laughs> has, has been reflected on, on us for years. And then, uh, you know, if you, were, if you were Jewish, so the Jewish people know more than anybody that they're sinners, they ought to at least. The Pharisees are probably the ones that, you know, were probably trying to convince people, you know, that they, they uh, you can achieve this level that's pleasing to God, right? But uh, 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all righteousness. So if you if you stop going around being self-righteous and confess, Lord, I'm a sinner. <laughs> I need a savior. He's faithful and just and will forgive us the sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. So how much unrighteousness is left in you after that? How much righteousness is left to be forgiven after that one confession? None. Do you think you can be purified from more than all unrighteousness? No. It's, it seems impossible. So it'd be, it would be impossible to get any more purified than that. Right. So, you know, what we learn, and it's the same with the with the word repentance, is that it's a one-time thing. And basically what you're doing is you're not saying, what you're doing is saying, I am a sinner. I need a savior. Yeah. That's what you're doing. You're not sitting there with this long list that you've journaled. Right. The point is, no matter what, even if you've managed to overcome some big sins you might've made, you know, maybe you've been divorced, maybe you, uh, maybe you murdered somebody, even if you <laughs> managed to stop doing those things, you're never going to stop uh, being angry, which is the same as murder in right. God's eyes. See, but what, so, but what you're hitting on is the, is the mindset that the Christians have looking at this passage. So if your mindset going into this passage is that it's, it's, you know, this is written to Christians and it's about asking for forgiveness. Then you see that, okay, there's an example in the scripture about confession. You know, that's that's what the Catholics call it. They call it confession. They do it to a priest and then the priest at, uh, represents them on behalf of God, uh, to God. And then as, as uh, Protestants, we're told that we can go straight to God and ask for forgiveness on a regular basis. But these this are, is this is a cleansing cycle. But this passage, are, those are religious rituals, right? Because this passage doesn't say that. That's the point. This passage has nothing to do with that, right? It's com it's completely ridiculous to pull that out of this passage. And Christianity is not a religion; it's a faith. Right. There's no need for religious rituals any so, longer. So let's just say, you know, let's let's just say okay, well maybe we're overreacting here. Uh you know, there's there's got to be there's there's examples of of people asking for forgiveness in the Bible. Well, show me one in the New Testament. You're you're not going to find one. And the, under the new covenant, uh if it was so important that we ask for forgiveness to God to cleanse ourselves, on a regular basis. I'm not saying realizing you're a sinner. That's a it's a healthy thing to realize you're a sinner, but the spirit of God guides us away from sin and teaches us. And so that's a whole nother story. We have to have faith in the spirit, not in our log books. But uh, if it was so important that we can that we did this ritual of cleansing where we ask for forgiveness, don't you think one of the just one of the apostles would have written about it? Just one. Of course. And there's no evidence of it anywhere in scripture, anywhere in the new covenant. So are we living in the old covenant when we do that is the question. Not to mention there are, well, there are so many supporting passages um, that it's quite the opposite, that we're not to sit and log and dwell and have guilt. Um, and when we're reading the Bible, we always have to remember um to test the spirit. The spirit will lead us to all truth. And we always have to remember to be looking for truth. Amen. And 
So what do we know? We know that God remembers our sins no more. When we, re when we believe, when we realize we're a sinner in need of a savior and he comes into our heart, he remembers our sins no more. So why wouldn't we follow his example? Yeah, you're quoting Hebrews. And then uh, why would we sit there and continue to remember when our father is no longer? He doesn't want that. And if anybody out there is really doubting and just saying, you know what, I've there's nothing wrong with uh, asking, asking a holy God for his forgiveness. You know, well, let's just take a look at this passage in Hebrews, because Hebrews uh, kind of sets this straight on how forgiven we actually are. It says, uh, uh, so even the first covenant was inaugurated with blood. For when Moses had spoken every command to all the people, according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people and said, it is the blood of the covenant that God has commanded you to keep. And, and so they just, uh, he just announced, he said that the first covenant, even the first covenant was inaugurated in blood. And so he's describing how that happened. And he, the reason he's saying even the first is because the second, as we know, the second covenant was inaugurated in blood. And we, we talk about that in our new covenant um, studies, you know, when did the new covenant begin? It was with the blood of Jesus. And then he goes on and he says, in both the tabernacle and all the utensils of worship, he likewise sprinkled with blood. Indeed, according to the law, almost everything was purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So both covenants were established in blood, the first and the second. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So what we see here is that God uses blood to start his covenants. The first and the second covenant were, were, uh, were signed with blood, uh, were delivered. It was like the law... Um, the law of, of blood, I guess you could say. There, there is no forgiveness without this shedding of blood. It's a blood shedding thing that God used to start these covenants. I don't know uh, the perfect what words uh, to eloquently describe this, but you can't get forgiveness any other way. So if you're truly in your in your heart asking God for forgiveness, where are you, where are you shedding the blood? You think you're misunderstanding how God's covenants work because there has to be bloodshed. So in the old covenant, they used bulls and goats. They used animals. And it was perpetual. It was over and over. And then in Hebrew says that, uh, that Christ entered into the sanctuary once and for all to make the final sacrifice. So one sacrifice made for all, and it was final. There's no longer a perpetual forgiveness. The, his blood covered everything. And he, the ironic thing is that when where they crucified him was where they made their sacrifices outside of the city gates. They the the, the Jewish people at that time made the final sacrifice of the perfect lamb in the same place where they made their other sacrifices, and they didn't even realize what was going on. They had no idea, but they they just made the final sacrifice. You know, that would be the end all for all things. And uh, they're, they're talking about that in Hebrews. So just think about that. You know, next time, you know, if, if you're still in the habit of asking forgiveness and, you know, you think, well, what's the harm? You know, just just think on that a little bit. You know, we're <laughs> Christ shed his blood once and for all. There was bloodshed and that's what God needed. That's what he needed for your forgiveness so that he could make you right. And you've been cleansed 
by the blood of Jesus once and for all. So is asking for that, is asking for more of that and, and watering down the blood of Christ to make it look like it's not even as good as the animals that they sacrificed. I mean, they, they, would, they would be forgiven for a year under the old covenant. And now we're going to log our sins on a regular basis. And we're going we're gonna to remind God who, as you had said, has told us that he remembers our sins no more. Are we going gonna to log him for him? And we're going to remind him? <laughs> Here, here's my sin that uh, that I, I'm I'm not sure if the blood of Jesus covered. How much of our sin can the blood of Jesus cover? How potent is the blood of Jesus compared to the bulls and goats? Is it does it need to be yearly, daily, or is it forever, like the Bible teaches? That's what the Bible teaches, and with what you've just said there, if if we are someone who thought it was respectful and loving and um, just what you do, just the right thing to do to be asking God for forgiveness. And every time you sin, uh, what was just said should really make you think on that because it's actually quite the opposite. Mm -hmm. It's doubting, it's unbelief, it's disrespectful. It's a slap in the face. But you can't go around doing whatever you want. Well, let me somebody just might say finish that thought he gave us <laughs> the most amazing the most beautiful the most precious gift ever and we're sitting there asking for more for it again but it's the understanding of that gift that changes it all see right. if, if you go around preaching that you have full forgiveness and don't preach the gift that you got then you might you you might be provoking people to go and sin. You know, if you if you were to open law, just have an open law out there. Let's just say open up the law and just say, you know what, all the um, stealing is is no longer going to be punished. That just one example. You're no longer going to get punished for stealing. Would that stop stop thieves from stealing, or would that in, maybe even encourage it? You know it. It wouldn't stop them from doing anything, but it's different with grace because it's it's completely different because you're you're the the part that's missing is the part that you've been made royalty. You know, if if you made if you stopped the laws on stealing and stopped punishing people from stealing, but then that same thief that was like, oh great, it's good news to me. I, I can steal now. That's good news. But then you know the king called on that thief. And said, you know, I'm making you royalty with me. Come sit, uh, uh, you know, with me in high places. Um, would somebody still have any reason to steal after that? You know, would why would they steal their royalty now? Well, you're forgetting the key part, though, is they might still because man is is dead in their sin. But mm-hmm. when you receive the Holy Spirit, you're born again. You now have the heart of Jesus. Yeah. So, and you have, you have repented, which means you've changed your mind about sin. It doesn't feel good anymore. And you're seated in high places. And you're seated in high places. Yeah, the analogy definitely leaves some more to, to give. But the, the bottom line is you hear this message of freedom and you think, okay, well, you, you know, a lot of pastors would say you can't teach that stuff. You're going you're gonna to make people go out and sin. So our so the uh, so the question here is 
do those pastors have faith in the spirit of God or do they have faith in mankind and in the flesh? Because if you're keeping people under rules in order to teach them behavior, that's not the spirit. If you're teaching people freedom, like the Bible teaches us and that we're free from our sin, that we've been cleansed, you know, what the part that you got to teach next is the life in Christ. And, you know, the, the what it means to have Christ living in and through us, that's that is the magic. Why would anybody, you know, want to want to continue in, in sin when they fully understand grace and what they have in Christ? Because it's it's like you said, it's not just a realization. It's a life transformation that the spirit of God does in us. You literally get a new heart and it's literally the heart of Christ. We're not in charge of transforming ourselves. We're not in charge of logging all our sins and attaining perfection. That's where Israel failed. The things that they were trying to to attain through their works, Paul said, the Gentiles were able to obtain through faith. They were given it. It was given to them, and now they, now they're they're transformed by the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit has changed them. The Spirit of God has changed them, not the Spirit of legalism. The Spirit of legalism is a lie, and and there's only there's only a few elements that can lie. And Satan was master deceiver, you know. Before he was destroyed, he left his legacy on the earth, and mankind is. In the flesh, we're, we're, uh, that's all we can do is lie and be against God. But the Spirit of God changes us. And so we're going we're gonna to call it on this one, unless anybody had anything else to say on, on this first part of 1 John. And we're going to go on uh, in our next session. We're going to talk about the fellowship as described in 1 John 1.9. Well, I just wanted to say, and maybe you're going to cover that next Um, I'm sure people would wonder, well, then what is the response when we do? Because we are going to continue sinning as humans, though God is counting us against against us. I got several sessions, actually. Okay. So we definitely won't cut that off. And so uh, for for this session, uh, thank you for joining us. And we hope to keep you around for the second part of a closer look at 1 John 1.9. Oh, yes. And by the way, by the way, you can uh, actually get this uh, study guide uh, at IWillTuddy.net, I should mention, uh, if you go to our website. And, uh, you know, you can, if you subscribe to us on YouTube, uh, you can support us in that way as well, if you like what you're hearing. Uh, For now, uh, we will stop this here and continue on to our next session soon.